Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Coffee and Prayer. I'm Pastor Andrew F. Carter, and it is 5.30 a.m. here in Inglewood, California. We were having some technical difficulties. I was like, no, not again. No, it's, uh, I got PTSD when it comes to the live not working anytime. It takes longer than, you know, it should. I start to like, oh, here we go. We got to go to YouTube. But uh, hey, how are you guys doing this morning? Hope you guys are doing well. As you guys tune in, please let me know where you are and what time it is. It is Sunday morning, and uh, man, I've been up since 4.30, just kind of, uh, you know, going through social media, sitting in God's presence, prayer, uh, going through the scripture we're going to go over, and um, yeah, man, and, and it, it's just like, God's the Spirit of God is heavy this morning, and I'm excited to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we got people from Australia, Germany, Boston, Los Angeles. My brother Diego's on Michigan. He said he might fall asleep to coffee and prayer because he's been uh, with friends and family. But hey, as long as you're here, brother, I love it. Minnesota, Fort Lauderdale. An hour early. Oh, is it? Uh, it's daylight savings time, isn't it? <laughs> spring forward. Whew. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, so maybe it's supposed to be 4.30. I don't know what time it is. All I know is it's 5.30 my time. It's daylight savings time. So that might have thrown some of you guys off. That is good to know. I just thought about that. Hey, how's it going? Christian's been up since 3.30. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's daylight savings time where I'm at. It is already 5.30. I'm looking at my clock, but uh, I didn't even realize. That's kind of crazy. But let's, hey, check it out. Let's let's hop into our scripture today. Uh, can somebody put 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the chat? That would be awesome. I'd like to pin that. Good. May, you're like, no, it's not before the end of March. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're in the U.S. In the U.S., it's daylight savings time. <laughs> Or is it not? Yeah, it's daylight savings time over in New Jersey. There we go. Yeah, that's some fun, something fun to do. A little research, maybe, maybe different. You guys are, you guys do daylight saving times on different day, but that's what it is. So check it out in First Corinthians chapter five. Uh, we just got done reading four, and in four. Um, Paul was addressing the church, man. They're, they're filled with pride and, uh, they're, they're, they're argumentative. They're looking as if they're still in the world. Um, they're arguing over who they follow, whether they follow Paul or Apollos. Uh, they think that they're better than other people. Their focus and their mindset is on status it's on wealth, it's on position, it's on power. And at the end of chapter four, even Paul was just kind of like, hey, you guys make sure, man. It says, uh, because the kingdom of God is present, uh, not in talk, but in power, which do you want? Do you want that I come to you with punishment or with love and gentleness? He's like, hey, where do you guys, where are you guys at? Do you want me to, I will come down there and I will discipline you guys. Like he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who are saved, but he keeps that same energy as we start chapter five. It says, uh, it's actually being said that there is sexual sin among you. 
And it's the kind that doesn't happen even among people who don't know God. There's some stuff going on in the church. Um, and remember, Paul's writing this letter in Ephesus. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He, he trained and, and pastored and, and built and laid a foundation of the church in Corinth for over a year and a half. So as people are visiting Paul, they're giving him report. They're letting him know what's going on. Like, hey, bro, there's some crazy stuff going on in Corinth, right? Over at the church in, in Corinth. You got to be up to date. And so he's finding out that, hey, there's some sexual sin that not even people of the world do, right? There's some drama. It's, it's a soap opera. There's some stuff going on amongst the saved. And he says, hey, uh, there's a man there who has his father's wife. And the first thing you might think is like, Okay, your father's wife is your mom. It's it's not that. But according to the Jewish law, it was still considered incest. A man who was with his, it's basically his stepmom. He is now married to his stepmom. Um, that's, that's incest according to Jewish law. It also breaks a lot of the moral standards. Some of you might say, in this day and age, we look at the way that relationships are. You see that kind of stuff and you see it actually celebrated or not even frowned upon or people will look at uh you know different relationships and oh we can't judge you don't know the heart like at the end of the day nowadays we allow and we 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 don't address and there's a lot of things that go on in relationships that uh, break moral standards, break you know old mosaic and, and, and Jewish laws, there's some things that go on that um, we've become desensitized to, right? We've become numb to because the over-sexualization of the world, we've become desensitized through music and through the entertainment and the things that we consume. Things that were once considered wrong or bad are now considered good or okay. They're permissive. People agree with them or people will turn a blind eye to them. Uh, we, we have these moral codes and these standards that I believe that over the years have become extremely lowered. We lowered the bar of what it means to be righteous or to be holy or to pursue uh, a life that is uh, honorable, right? And so, um, yeah, he says, he's calling it out. He's like, there's a man who's with his, with his father's wife. And it says, and you are proud, right? The church, the church is hosting and, and celebrating sin. They're allowing it among themselves and they still have this attitude of pride. Like we are the Corinthians. We are above others. They have this sense of, of, of pride inside of their heart and ego even in the middle of individuals blatantly living in sin. He says, uh, you should have been filled with sadness so that the man who did this should be put out of your group, right? This should have moved you. This is a sin that is, this is something that is blatant. It's not even being hidden. You guys are still fellowshipping. You're sitting with this. You're allowing and, and giving the green light and the thumbs up to things that should be frowned upon, yet you, you, you don't even address it. You're filled with pride. You should be filled with sadness. You should have addressed this. And he's like, I'm not there with you in person, but I'm with you in spirit. And I've already judged the man who did that sin as if I were really there. And many of you guys are going to go, oh, well, we shouldn't judge others, right? We're going to get to that because I, I love this scripture where it talks about we shouldn't judge the world, sinners or non-believers, but we should have discernment and judgment within the body of Christ, within the community of believers. He says, uh, when you meet together in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I meet with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, then hand this man over to Satan. So the next time you guys get together, pretend I'm there. 
I'm going to be with you in spirit. And I've already judged him guilty. So here's my vote. And my vote being that I'm kind of like the elder, I'm kind of like the one who laid the foundation, is going to supersede what you guys are saying. I'm with you in spirit. This guy has got to go. We have to stop sitting here and uh, being okay, sitting here and being complacent, sitting here and saying, hey, it's all good, man. We're still filled with pride. We're still the Corinthians. Our focus is on power and prestige and it's on wealth and it's on status. And we're okay with this. We're turning a blind eye to blatant sin, unrepentant sin that's occurring right here in the church. And when he says, hey, we're going to you know, send this man to Satan, hand him over to Satan. So his sinful self will be destroyed and his spirit will be saved on the day of the Lord. He's not saying, hey, you know, um, what he's saying is get rid of them. Because in the hopes is, is as we're condoning sin, we're making it okay. And as he's sitting here living a life that's filled with repentant sin, he no longer, he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. He's living blatantly in sin. There's been no repentance. There's been no change of life. Is he even saved? Treat him as a non-believer. Treat him as somebody who does not know Jesus. Get him out of the church with the hopes that by that, that, that drastic measure of turning away from him, maybe something will click. He will repent from his sin and then maybe his soul will be saved. It says, uh, so his sinful self will be destroyed and his spirit will be saved on the day of the Lord. We we are doing this. We're not condoning your sin. We're not sitting with you and sinning with you. We're not turning a blind eye to the way that you live. What we're going to do is we're going to address it. And if you are not repentant, then we are not going to allow you in the body of Christ. And we're going to address what I'm talking about. So we're going to push you away in your unrepentant sin, in this blatant life of sin, as you're claiming to be a follower of Christ and you're not addressing this. That doesn't mean if you sin or if you make a mistake or if you fail or if you mess up because then none of us would be in the church, right? But there's a difference and we have to have discernment of an individual who is blatantly living in sin as opposed to somebody who is a saint who might struggle or have an issue with temptation or sin. They have not matured. They're not being discipled. They're not growing up in the word. Does that make sense? So he would be set aside. He would be pushed out. And the hopes, the prayer is that this act uh, that is that is harsh to some would bring him to a place of going, wow, this is wrong. I need to change. And I want to be back in the church. I want to be back in the body. I want to be back in the, in, in the love and the presence of Jesus. So what I must do is make a decision that will Will, will put me in right standing, right? I need to put my faith in Christ. I need to repent from this sin that I'm blatantly living in blindly or, or maybe not so blindly, right? It seems as if this was something that it was a big deal and uh, it was enough. And he says, he goes on to say, your bragging is not good. You know the saying, just a little yeast makes the whole batch of dough rise. Take out the old yeast so that you will be a new batch of dough without yeast, which you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. We're no longer a, a body of individuals that are, are living in sin. God sees us as the perfection of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. It says, so let us celebrate this feast, but not with the bread that has the old yeast, the yeast of sin and wickedness. Let us celebrate this feast with the bread that has no yeast, the bread of goodness and truth. Right? Sin is contagious is what he's saying. 
So you, as the body of Christ is here, as, as we're turning a blind eye to blatant and unrepentant sin, and we're, you know, we're allowing these things to take place in the body of believers, it becomes contagious. Oh, well, if he's doing that, then this must mean it's okay for me to do this. If we're celebrating or allowing or turning our back on this kind of behavior, then it must be okay for me to do so. And what you see, uh, another saying, like, like besides this, if you don't understand the yeast and the bread, is uh, one bad apple corrects or, or corrupts the whole barrel, right? If you have one bad apple in the bunch, like we just had a bag of lemons and uh, one of the lemons started going and we had to get it out of there quick because we understand that once that lemon goes bad, it starts to affect all of the other lemons and they'll start to go bad. Same with apples. You have one bad apple in the barrel and all of them are going to start to spoil and it's the same thing. What, 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 what they're talking about here too, is that during the Passover feast, they, they ate unleavened bread. And during this time, the, the Jews would take all leaven out of their house. They would remove it because they knew that even just the smallest amount of yeast, if it got into their bread, it would leaven the bread. And so they would clear and clean. They would quarantine their home from leaven, essentially. They would rid their entire home of leaven. They would make sure that there was none. And in the same sense as a church, we need to make sure that there's not individuals who are blatantly living in unrepentant sin, that they're celebrating a life that pursues whatever their flesh and whatever their heart desires, right? So um, that's what it's talking about, man. Sin is contagious. Sin is, sin is contagious. And by, by pushing this individual who's dealing with incest, who's with his father's wife, it's to set an example and it's to encourage repentance, right? As, as individuals in the body, they see that this is the stance that we take on sin and we're going to push him out. Now, if he were to repent and come back, that's like, yes, come on home. Prodigal son, we, we get it, but we can't sit here and condone those actions when you're being prideful, when you're not repentant, when you don't see anything wrong with it. That means that your heart posture is is off. That I That's like, do you really have faith in Jesus? Are you really following Christ? Are you, and this is a real question, are you truly saved? Do you really know who he is or are you just here on Sundays because that's what tradition says because you grew up in the church. So you show up on Sundays and you sit with the group and you sing the songs and you put the money in the thing, but then you go right back to your life on Monday living the same way that you came in on, you know, and that's what that's kind of what Christianity has become in some instances, right? It's become that is where you, you know, oh, well, I, I'm a Christian yet you don't know Jesus. You might know the word, but do you know him? You know, you, you might have a relationship with going and attending a church on Sunday because that's how you grew up or that's what you know, but it's really just like a, it's a, it's another meeting. You meet there, you clap, you sing, you do, you go through the motions and then you head off and, and you're right back to your life of sin. That's kind of what this is. This is exactly what this is talking about. It's one of the instances and examples that we're talking about. Uh, going into a little bit more clarity about this. He says, I wrote you earlier um, not to associate with those who sin sexually, right? Paul wrote to them, he's like, hey, don't, don't uh, associate with individuals who are in sexual sin. But I did not mean you should not associate with those of this world who sin sexually or with the greedy or the robbers or those who worship idols. He says to get away from them, you would have to leave the world. Right? If you want to get away from individuals uh, who, who are struggling with sin, you would have to leave the world. You'd have to get in a rocket ship like old Elon Musk or uh, 
or, or, or Jeff Bezos and you'd have to fly off this world, man. You'd have to get out of here. He said, I'm, I'm writing this to tell you that you must not associate those who call themselves believers in Christ, but who sin sexually or are greedy or worship idols or abuse others with words or get drunk or cheat people. Do not even eat with people like that. So there's a big distinction, right? And it's funny because Christians will, we will turn a blind eye and turn our back on individuals in the church who are sinning and be like, oh, you know, they're just figuring it out. They're trying to, to get it together. And I understand, I, I talk about this daily, a space to mature, a space to grow a space to know him, a place and a space to be discipled. So, so understand that there is a difference between the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you having a, a repentant heart, you trying your best to understand who you are in Christ and to receive the word. And then, you know, you, you step out and you, you make a mistake, you fail, you fall short, right? God still sees you as the perfection and the righteousness of Christ. You're saved. So there, there is this grace, but there, there's a difference between somebody who is is saying that they're a Christian yet live a completely different life. They, the, the Bible calls that a double-minded man. That wouldn't even be considered lukewarm, right? That That's literally just holding on to the moniker or the title of being a Christian because you might show up on a Sunday or maybe that's how you were raised, but your life looks completely different. But, but it's literally, this is almost like the definition of saying, hey, I, I'm calling you to sit with sinners. I'm not saying for you to stay away from those who sin sexually or for those who are greedy or those who are getting out drunk because they're in the world. We expect them to live that way. How are these people supposed to get saved if we isolate ourselves? Sometimes I often think like Christians want to create, um, and, and I'm talking about myself, we want to create this country club that's exclusive and, and we want to sit up on our holy high hill where we're, we're pushing sinners away. No, 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 no. You got to get your stuff together before you can enter this exclusive Christian country club that's sitting on this exclusive Christian hill. And we gatekeep and we stand down there and go, oh, no, 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 no. Based on your opinions, you can't come up here. Oh, that kind of sin, that kind of sin's not welcome here. Oh, that that's your past. Ooh, I, I don't really like that. I don't agree with that. So we're going to keep you away from that. This is what Christian, this is what Christianity has become in a lot of ways. And Paul is clearly saying, Hey, I didn't mean you should not associate with those of the world who sin sexually or with the greedy or with the robbers or those who worship idols. We should be associating with them. How are they going to know Jesus? How are they going to know the truth? How are they going to know love? How are they going to be exposed to the transformational power and presence of Jesus Christ as we are ambassadors and representations of them? But if we sit on a holy hill in our holy Christian country club and don't allow them access, if we won't even integrate ourselves with them as if they've got some kind of disease, how will they ever know truth? It's food for thought. It's food for thought. And the food coming from the word of God it's like, I didn't mean you shouldn't associate with those people. Those people need you the most. They need you the most. What I'm talking about is those who call themselves Christians yet don't follow Jesus. It says, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? You will know them by their fruits. There are individuals who claim to be Christians who, who, who hide behind the title, yet they don't even know who Jesus is. Amen. He's saying, uh, don't even eat with people like that. And this is extremely powerful. He says, it's not my business to judge people who are not a part of the church. God's going to judge them. 
This isn't my this isn't my words. This is scripture. It is not my business to judge those who are not a part of the church. If they're not saved, right? If they're not sanctified, if they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not my job to judge them, right? It's my job to love them and to expose them to Jesus, to expose them to the truth. That's what I'm called to do. I'm called to be a light in this world. Uh, and, and a light goes out into the darkness and shines it everywhere. So regardless of your sexual identity, regardless of your stance on tough, controversial topics, despite the, the fact that you might believe in another religion, the fact that we might not look the same, we might not be the same color, we might not agree on some tough issues, the fact that I am a light and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. It is my privilege to go out and be an ambassador and a representative of Jesus in the world. That's what Jesus did. He went out and he was a light. He didn't just stay in the synagogue and only sit with those who were saved. He didn't just get his 12 disciples that were around him that believed in him like 11 did. He didn't sit with just them and then just protect himself and, and just talk poorly about the world. Man, I can't believe they're out there doing this. I really came out here. I'm trying, you know, but you know, they don't believe the same thing that I do. But, but have you heard about that Mary Magdalene lady? Like, bro, her life is a little bit like there's a woman by the well who's had five husbands. She shacked up with another dude. I could never Right? He wasn't there like the woman who was caught in adultery. He, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, stone her. Like <laughs> adultery, that's crazy. That's disgusting. I would never. That's, how, that's the attitude that we've taken in, in the stance of the world. He's like, no, they're lost. The way that they're living is the way that they should be living. I, it blows my mind because I can look back and be like, yo, I was there. I did all of those things and, and I was judged and criticized by Christians. I was a kid looking for help. I was lost. I, I needed discipleship. I needed leadership. I needed somebody to help me. But because I was struggling, because I didn't understand the word of God, because I didn't grow up in church, I was pushed away and shunned because of my actions and my behaviors. Rather than somebody pulling me in and taking me under their wing and like, hey man, this is love. This is truth. Let me love you through where you're at and let me expose you to Jesus and let me be a light in your dark world and let me love you without boundaries or without conditions or without a preconceived notion. I I don't want anything from you. I'm not trying to get you to buy a timeshare. I'm not trying to convince you to invest your money in a, a stock or anything like that. I'm not trying. I'm not a forex trader. I'm just here because I love you and I want you to know who Jesus is. And you're a sinner and you're lost and you're in this world, but I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to judge your sin. I'm not here to judge your past. I'm not here to judge your actions. I'm not here to judge what you've done because it's not my job to judge unbelievers. It's not my job to judge the world. It says clearly in scripture that God will do that. But you must, it says, it is not my business to judge those who are not a part of the church. God will judge them. It's my job, it's my duty to be the love and the light of Jesus. However, let's flip the script. You must judge the people who are a part of your church. Woo! And all the Christians said, hold on, I said it says, I thought it says, thou shalt not judge. Well, Paul is clearly judging. He's saying, hey, that man who's committing incest and is breaking the moral code and the moral law and, and, and is blatantly living in sin in your guys' presence and you guys are turning a blind eye, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to address it, right? And that's part of the issue of the church. How many leaders get caught for being sexually immoral or, 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 for, or for being pedophiles or being weirdos or, or stuff going on behind the scenes? 
Why aren't they being called out? Why aren't they being reprimanded? Why aren't these things being stopped at an earlier stage? Why are, why are there individuals who are turning a blind eye to that because they have a position of power and leadership? These are things that need to be addressed. These are things that need to be condemned. These are things that need to be judged early on, right? But we sit there complacent and we allow things to go on inside of the church when clearly they need to be judged. And like I said, it becomes contagious. So if you're allowing sin and individuals to blatantly live in sin without it being addressed, it starts to be contagious. And then we start to lower the moral bar. We no longer are pursuing holiness or righteousness. No longer are we trying to look like Jesus. We're trying to look like one another. And if he's sinning, then uh, that's okay. Then if we're going to allow this, let's just lower the moral bar and standard of the church. And then we start to look exactly like the world. Now it's just a Christian country club with a with a, an exclusive VIP list that's all it becomes and now we're just gathering on Sundays and we're clapping tossing a couple bucks in the thing and then we're going right back to our sin on Monday right but you must judge the people who are part of the church the scripture says you must get rid of the evil person among you glory to God and this takes discernment so this is such a this is such a careful it it has to be done carefully it has to be done with truth it has to be done with love because even this scripture I, I I've witnessed I've been a part of uh brothers and sisters in Christ who take that stance and they take it everybody it seems like we've t we tend to be extreme we'll take that oh well I'm here to judge righteously and they make it their mission it becomes their life purpose to stand on 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 13, that they must judge. And so now they walk around as this judgment machine inside of the church to make sure that... And so now they're walking around like Terminator and they're running profiles in their head. Hmm, I saw what you did on Saturday night. Are you even saved? We might have to cast you out of the church. And it's like, bro even though we're called to judge unrighteousness, unrepentant sin, and individuals who are blatantly living in a manner, we still must be careful not to point fingers. We still must be careful not to be in there throwing stones or pretending that we know where individuals are in their walk or in their heart. Everything, even within the church, must be treaded on lightly, and it must be dealt with with truth, which is the Word of God. But underlined, highlight, in bold with an exclamation point, with love. With love. Wow. Many times we miss that. And even the scripture says that when you're dealing with individuals with truth, with no love, it's like a clinging symbol, right? A clinging symbol. If you don't understand what that is, let's just get a picture in our mind. You know, those little wind up monkeys with the little top hat and they've got, a, they've got, they've got, uh, you know, symbols in each hand and then they just shoot a little and you know, they're symbols. So, or even, even a, a cartoon where, you know, Wiley Coyote's got two symbols and you know, the, the roadrunner puts his head through a hole and he smacks the symbol on each side of his ear and his head's ringing. That's what it's like when you're approaching individuals with just truth with no love. It says it's like a clanging symbol. It's like somebody with these symbols and they're in your ear and they're just banging them, slamming them together. And it's just rattling your brain and there's just this headache and it's confusing and it's, it's just like in your face. Right? Wow. Did y'all just call me a mam of God, Pooh Bear 484? 
Listen, man. I know that it's a it's a it's a mess up, but a man of God. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I know that what you meant. I know you meant man of God. I just caught, I looked up and I saw man of God, and it's like, oh Lord. It's funny because me and Kyra, we get our um, people will go to her posts and be like it'll be me and her and they'll be like oh you're such a lucky man you're like glory to god you're so blessed brother talking to me and it's her post and she's like why are people commenting to you on my posts she was like they don't see that it's mine and she gets yeah she's just like i can't believe that people will come to my posts and they're talking to you on my stuff it's crazy good stuff <clears throat> good stuff um, Holy Spirit, help me. I don't think that we have to go into much more detail. Do we? What kind of? Do we, how can you make your non-believer boyfriend understand Jesus? This is a great question. How can you make your non-believer boyfriend understand Jesus? Um, you can't. But you, as a believer, should be listening to Scripture. You shouldn't be with a non-believer. So. My question is, how can I get you to understand Jesus? Because that's the bigger question. The, the, the question is, is within your question. How can I, a follower of Christ, make my non-believer boyfriend, an individual who I'm in a relationship, an individual who I'm unequally yoked with, an individual who um, I'm, 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 I shouldn't be attached to, how can I make them believe what I believe? The question is, is how well do you know Jesus? The question is, how close are you following to Je Are you following Jesus? It says, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. One of his commands is not to be unequally yoked, right? One of one of the, the teachings of Jesus, of the scripture, is that we shouldn't be with individuals who are non-believers. It is prideful and even arrogant of us to think that we can be in a relationship with an individual who doesn't know the Lord and that we will somehow trick them or force them or change their mind. It's arrogant of us to believe that we will enter into relationship and that, that, that God is going to put us there in order to change their faith, right? Uh, the, the Holy Spirit isn't going to put you in a situation that contradicts the word of God. So you're in this relationship by your own choosing. You're in this relationship uh, by your own desire. It's your fleshly desire to be seen, to be heard, to be loved, to be felt. Jesus has not been enough for you. So now you find yourself in a relationship that is immoral and wrong. This is how this goes. And this is what a lot of people find themselves in. They become lonely. Uh, they think that, you know, this is their person, even though it contradicts scripture. And so they'll find themselves in this relationship and they'll hope and believe and trust that eventually their faith will be strong enough to change their partner. You guys will eventually get married. And what you'll find is maybe you have kids and now this non-believer has not changed and they want to teach their children a different religion. They want to teach their children something different. They don't celebrate. Now you're a mom going to church with just your kids while dad's staying at home. You thought that your faith was strong enough to change this individual. And now you're crying to God. Why won't you change them? God, why am I in this situation? Why am I not? Why is it not being effective? And he's saying, child, you put yourself in that situation. You ignored the scripture from the very beginning. I said not to be unequally yoked. Now you must deal with the consequences of your actions and decisions. You turned your back on the teachings and the scripture of God. Does that make sense? And a lot of us, I, I, I say this and share this because I counsel a lot of individuals who are in marriages with individuals who do not believe. Okay. And so they're in these places and their biggest regret is just like, man, I should have listened to the scripture, man. I knew I wasn't listening. I was not being obedient. 
and we're begging God to fix the situation in a mess that we've made out of our own flesh. Amen. And and and, and so here's the thing. So yes, <clears throat> people will say, "Well, I've seen them convert." Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that that does happen. I've also seen people fall away. So so is that a chance that you want to take? Is it okay? So so because God can make a miracle out of your mess, does it mean that we should do it? Right? Does the Holy Spirit contradict itself? Does God's will contradict the word of God? If he says not to be unequally yoked and we ignore that and jump into that relationship, it's a 50-50 ball. You're throwing it up in the air. Maybe they get converted. Maybe they don't. And you're setting yourself up for more turmoil, more stress, more trouble, more problems. Like I said, God can take your mess and turn it into a miracle, right? I went to prison. Do you think that was God's plan for my life? I ran from the call. I found myself in the belly of a well because I ran from a calling. Now, because God is good and because of his grace, he's able to take my mess that I made from my poor decisions and choices, and he turned it into a miracle. Now I go and I talk to people who have been incarcerated. So that's that's the grace and the love and the mercy of God. I don't want to be the one testing him. I don't want to be the one throwing up a 50-50 ball saying, well, the word of God says this, but you never know. He might be able to change their heart. That's that's testing and, and challenging God. So let's not say, well, because my grandfather smoked cigarettes for 100 years and never had cancer, it's okay to smoke cigarettes, right? That's the same logic. Well, uh, I know somebody who got converted from that relationship, so it should be okay. I know somebody who drank and never got cirrhosis of the liver, so we should, we, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a faulty mindset and thinking just because you've seen somebody get saved from that situation. I'm not mocking or coming at you. That's a great point. It's an it's a amazing message because I think that comment I think it's more common. And so I'm not, I'm definitely not coming at that comment. I'm just using it as a springboard to jump into conversation because that's where our mind goes and that's where our heart goes is we're willing to compromise. We're willing to manipulate, shift and change the word of God in order to fit our agenda, right? We, we, we are, we're able, we, that's what we do. We're humans. Like our heart is wicked above all things and we want what we want. So we're willing to close our eyes and, and to turn our back on scripture in order to be felt or to be able to be seen or, or to be able to be, you know, to, to understand. Right? Our opinion, our opinion doesn't matter and, and our feelings aren't found in the scripture. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wasn't, that, I think that question, or if they convert, it would have to be before marriage. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah. And it's so like, it's, it's not black and white. I know, I know a, a good Christian brother who's in a marriage who, um, he got converted. So this, uh, there's so many, it's, it's not black and white. It's so beautiful because God can work in so many ways, but my encouragement is knowing ahead of time, right? If I'm calling myself a follower of Jesus and, um, that I love the Lord, then I need to love the word. And the word instructs me not to do that, not to put myself in that situation. And so that right there is the bound, the foundation of like, hey, I love Jesus. I probably shouldn't be in that relationship. I need to be smart. I need to be obedient and I need to walk away. It's that simple. If you choose to ignore the scripture, can God bring glory and honor from that? Yes. But there's always consequences for your actions. And I don't know what that looks like. The person could get saved. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe you fall away from the faith. I, I don't know. Right? It's so much. It's so much. And yoked is to be married, right? So what are you dating for? 
That's a great question. So am I dating to test drive cars? I'm dating to be married. Therefore, I'm not going to date non-believers because the goal of dating and courting is marriage. Am I wrong? Or are you just out there test driving all the cars? See, that's another way that we're trying to manipulate the scripture. Well, it says not to be unequally yoked, not unequally married. So I should be dating whoever I want. No, you're twisting and manipulating. So, so what is the goal of dating? The goal of dating is marriage, right? So why would I, why would I date somebody who I never intend to marry? These are questions and these are ways that we as human beings, as fallen, as individuals who are still living in our flesh, who desire to be seen, loved, heard, felt, and, 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 and you know, uh, valued, we're looking for our identity in human beings and in relationship and we're willing to compromise the word of God, which is clear instruction in order to fit our own personal agendas, right? Wow. That's powerful, right? That's truth. Un yoked means to be married. Awesome. My goal and my intention of every person that I take on a date, my goal would be to marry them, not to just take them out and have some ice cream and to get to know them or to sleep with them or to have sex with them, right? Then my mind is in the wrong place. Again, now I'm, now I'm ignoring the word of God. So why am I dating an individual I don't intend to marry? So therefore I shouldn't be dating individuals that are not believers that I don't intend to be yoked with. Woo! Christian dating apps. Man, um, I'll hold my opinion on that. I'll hold my opinion on that. Um, I, because it's that, same, it's that same fallacy, right? You're going to have 37 examples of, oh, well, I know somebody who met somebody on a Christian dating app. And, uh, you know, they're happily married 30 kids later and 45 years down the road. That's awesome. I think... So I'm, I'm going to hold my opinion, but I'm, I'm going to clearly let you guys know what I think. I personally just believe that we have created an idol out of relationship, right? Um, if I'm focused on Christ, if my sole intention and focus is on Jesus, his plan, purpose, will, and, and desire for my life, if I'm focused on that, I believe that he will put me in the right places and the right spaces, whether that's worship, whether that's church, whether that's outreach, whether that's missions. And I believe that I'm going to find that individual in that place. But again, I'm not God. I don't know his plan, purpose, and will for you. So if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to be on a dating app, then more power to you. Um, more power to you. I met my wife on social media. We lived in two different states, right? So the way that we met, she was a woman who was like her plan, purpose, and, and will. She was doing missions trips. She was doing children's ministry. She was doing outreach. She was focused on the Lord. She wasn't looking for relationships. She wasn't looking for somebody. I was just creating a ministry. I was just starting with Christian TikTok and content creation. My mind was focused on the Lord. It was focused on Jesus. I was, I had one mindset. And so I don't even know how it happened, but our paths crossed from two different, completely, complete different states. I lived in Oregon. She lived in California. And, and as I was focused on him and she was focused on him, we had our paths crossed by a divine intervention. It was the weirdest thing of, of thousands of people who were following me. Her profile stuck out and I clicked on it. Boom. And yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard. So again, I'm not God. I don't know. Uh, God can, you can meet your person through social media. It could be an app. It could be in person. I believe that if you're focused on him, you're, he's going to put you at the right place at the right time. And, um, but again, I wasn't searching. I wasn't looking. I wasn't swiping. I wasn't even really putting myself out there. 
But again, man, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's, it, yeah. I wish that it was black and white, but it's not. It's not. So as far as Christian dating apps, again, I would just pray about it. Ask for discernment. Make sure that your heart's in the right place and that you're focused on him. And if that's where he leads you, then trust it. Yeah, you got to trust it. Again, I don't want to condemn. Like, I don't want to say that it's a hard stance against no, because again, there are going to be people who, who find it. This is a good question. I like it. Uh, how about a friend who claims to be a Christian, but she doesn't read the Bible or listen to the word, go to church or anything? It really bothers me. I try to guide her, but she just, uh, but she just says, um, honestly, um, being a Christian isn't about how much you read your Bible or pray or attend church, right? Um, being a Christian is a heart posture. Uh, in those situations, you got to love people, you got to pray for people, and you got to encourage. And I would just continue to plant seeds and allow them to see the change in your life, allow them to see the light in your life. And I believe that it, it catches fire. As just like sin is contagious, so is passion, right? Passion for Jesus and living your life on fire, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to either push people away because it's too much, or it's going to draw people in. You think of a light, right? As we're called to be the light of this world, as you let your light shine, what's attracted to light? Like where I'm from in the Northwest, moths. Moths are attracted to light. You could turn off the porch light and there's no moths. You cut that thing on and they're coming from, you know, a radius and you're just outside and there's moths all around it. Moths are attracted to light. Maybe it's the heat. I don't know the, the science behind it. But what I do is I let my light shine bright. I don't put a lampshade on it. I am unashamed and unapologetically me. And me, I'm on fire for Jesus. So I'm not going to tune myself down to make other people feel comfortable. Now, those who it's too much for, that light, it might be too bright for the demons that are inside of them. They might be so overwhelmed with darkness that when that light comes in, they're squinting and they're looking for their shades. They might, they might dip. They're going to go. But those who truly know and have that calling, they're going to be like moths. They're going to be drawn to you. So let your light shine bright and with the hopes that they will be drawn and attracted and they will want to know more. But we can't put a timeline on it, right? We can't rush God's timing. Um, I'm sure there were probably people praying for you who were just like, God, I wish she would come to Jesus. I'm praying for her. I'm, you know, man, I hope that she learns the truth. And it could have been, you know, months ago, years ago. It could have been a decade ago. I know I've had people praying for me to become a Christian and to give my life to Jesus for years, for years. Christian says, some of my closest people are being pushed away by my fire for Jesus. It becomes a lot. I've been told to tone it down. I've been told, you know, that it's too much, that there's, there's more to life than just Jesus. And I'm just like, wait, what? No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life. I only have life because he gave his life. Jesus is my life. I have something that is real and it's tangible and it's exciting and I want everybody to know about it. But a lot of people, it will push them away. That's good. Just like you can make an idol out of relationships, how about putting your ambition, career, ministry, or your idol, or even like personal development? Yes, yes. Um, ambition can become uh, an idol career. You see that a lot of times. I love that. That's good. Personal development. That's why this whole, this whole self, uh, 
this whole self-help and self-movement, everything revolves around self, right? Um, there's this movement that's going on that takes your eyes off of him and places it on you. That can become an idol, an idol out of ministry. Really, anything can become an idol, an idol out of serve. You know, when you start to serve because it's, it's more about you, then you're kind of missing the point. You're serving because of people. So I want to read what my sister Tamara just put. She said, she said, I recall when I first started my walk, many rejected it, but have come full circle as they watched my life transform. And it wasn't just talk. It was the walk. Okay. Uh, powerful. That's good, Tamara, because I'm listening to Dan Moeller and Dan Moeller said the same thing. He said that he got, when he got saved, he was working in this big factory and he got saved. And you know, the first couple of months, people were just like, we'll see how long this lasts. Like we know the old Dan, Dan likes to party. Dan likes to kick it. Dan likes to do these things, right? And so after the first couple of months, they were just like, how long are you going to put on this charade, man? How long are you going to be doing this? And he was like, no, man, it's real. It's real. And like, you know, they were really like, we'll see. We'll see. He said that he stayed in his workplace. I think it was like two or three years. And by the time that he got promoted and he left to go into full-time ministry, he had people calling him. He had people getting saved on the job, but it took a moment for individuals to understand that it was real, that it wasn't just a phase. It wasn't just like a, a diet, right? You ever seen somebody come on, on January 1st? I'm excited about this diet. I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm, I'm gung-ho. Boom, boom, boom. And then three months later, you know, you catch them eating something. That, you know, you're like, how's that diet going? Oh man, I stopped doing that a while ago. Or, or somebody's excited. Oh, I got this brand new opportunity and it's this multi-level marketing thing. You know, hey man, if you invest a thousand dollars, they're on fire. And a couple months down the road, they're kind of like, how's that thing going? You're like, what thing? You know, that multi-level thing. Oh, oh, yeah, I stopped doing that. We tend to get excited when new things happen. So people are extremely skeptical when you start something up and you get excited and people are like, okay, we'll see how long this lasts, right? We, I've been through this with you before. But as the months go by and the years go by, and you keep that same fire and that same passion and that same flame, people are going to be like, huh, man, you really have been walking different. You really have been talking different. You really, this, this, this thing is real. Let me hear a little bit more about it. Tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more about this truth. I want to know more, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing. So it, it does take, take some time. And then Dan Moeller even said that even years after he left the place, he said that he might still get a random call or a text or an email, but like, Hey brother, I don't know if you remember me, but I used to work with you, you know, six, seven years ago at that factory. And I remembered you gave your life to Jesus. I'm going through something. Is there any way you can pray with me? And he's, he's reporting about how, even while he was in that place, he was planting seeds and his light was so bright that individuals they noticed and they would check up on his social media to see where he's at. Did he fall off? Is he still doing that? No, man, that Jesus thing is still real. And he's living in victory and look at the a smile on his face and man I need to know a little bit more about this it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing right great open conversation today I love it I love it I love it uh let's let's switch gears real quick Psalm 126 where's May at I know May's got some she's got me set up right come on May I need uh first Corinthians 5 and Psalm 124 126 Sorry. Somebody, anybody, I'd like to pin that so that we know what we're doing. There she is. Bam. Talk about the spirit of preparation. My sister May from Germany, all the way in Germany where they don't have daylight saving time yet from what we've, we've found out. She's always prepared. 
I love it. So um, the only the only verse that I really want to talk about, and I, I'm not even going to say I'm going to be brief because we all know that that's not the truth, um, is verse five and six. There's only six verses. You guys can read it as uh, as you you like, but it says that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This stood out to me because, look, man, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The things that you sow here on this earth, some some of them, they reap a great benefit. If you sow into your relationships, they can reap an amazing uh, friendship that lasts a lifetime. If you sow into your kids, you can watch your children grow up into amazing adults. If you sow into your health, you will reap the benefits of a healthy lifestyle. If you sow into your marriage, you will reap the benefit of uh, a love that lasts a lifetime. As we plant seeds and as we sow and spend our time, energy, effort, and resources in different areas of our lives, yes, they will reap a benefit. They will reap a harvest. That's the beautiful thing about how we spend our time, energy, and effort. But if we can kind of get down on a you know a face-to-face level, we understand that not everybody's living a great life. Um, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are not living in victory. And so I get this picture of individuals who are who might not have the greatest life here on earth, but their hope, their trust, and their faith is in the Lord. And so I got this picture in my mind as I was reading it as somebody who, you know, is going through a tough time, yet even in the middle of their struggle, they're still loving and still sowing seeds. And they're still, they're, they're sowing seeds in their tears, through their tears. As, as they're going through grief and struggle and tribulations, and they, they still understand that, hey, even though my circumstances might not be the greatest, I have joy from the one who gives all joy. I have peace from the one who gives all peace, even through my tears and my weeping and the heaviness and the challenges that I might experience, right? I'm doing my best to sow these seeds through the tears and I know that it will reap joy. I call it finding a position of praise, right? Regardless of what's going on in this world, even in the midst of gas prices hitting $7 in some places, in the middle of individuals losing friends and family members to a very real sickness and disease, uh, even in the middle of a war that is going on across the ocean in Russia and Ukraine, even in the middle of famine and drought, disease, pestilence, in the middle of all of the craziness that individuals are experiencing, if we can find a position of praise and we can fix our heart posture in a place that says, you know what, despite my circumstances, I have a joy that is going to last an eternity. I have a peace and a comfort. I have a savior who is with me. He never promised a life that's filled with ease. And I, and I always share, we look to our brothers and sisters who are in countries that are martyring uh, those who are followers of Christ. So we, we can't sit here and say, oh, if I follow Jesus, then life is going to be easy. Because that's not true. There's a lot of followers who are living lives underground and who are hiding their Christianity so that they're not beheaded. There's individuals who are living a life that is on the run because of their faith. But if we can fix our heart 
and we can find a position of praise and we can sow through those tears. If we can take our mind off of our suffering and place it on his suffering, understand that life is more than just things. It's more than just us. It's not just about us. Then we, I believe, will find that place. We will reap that harvest of joy. It keeps us fixed. It keeps our minds set on things that are above, not on things that are here on this earth. They, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, right, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. The day of rejoicing will be upon will be upon you, right? The day of rejoicing will be upon you. Life's not easy, and and I think that that's that's one thing that has been uh, that I think we should all challenge ourselves in is understand that um, not everybody's in the same position, not everybody is at the same place. Not everybody is, uh, some people are going through things that are undoubtedly more challenging than others. Um, and some of us have gone through things that are undoubtedly more challenging. We're all in different seasons of our life, but joy and happiness, that truly is a choice, right? That truly is a choice. And, and, and it's the choice of what are you focusing on? What are you making this life uh, about? Mm, Brother Marcus says Job in his suffering lost everything and still praised God, right? Wow, that's powerful. That is powerful. A position of praise, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're dealing with, it, even, even through the weeping and the tears and the pain and the heaviness, we still find a position to praise him and to still sow those seeds to let people know about the love and the light and the transformational power of Jesus Christ. Um, man. I don't think anything else really needs to be said. I'm getting I'm getting a, a feeling of completion. I think all that needs to be said has been said this morning. I believe that uh, as we leave this place, if we could keep our hearts fixed on Him and our eyes on Him, if we could um, just kind of sit in His presence and understand that He's good. You guys, I can't even begin to imagine some of the things that you're going through or that you're dealing with, um, but I know that we're under attack. <laughs> I know that we're under attack. And that attack comes from a very cunning enemy, right? We're not going to give him too much credit. But but what he can't do is he cannot take your salvation, right? The devil, the devil he's jealous because you have relationship with God, right? As a follower of Jesus, your faith is in him. You are saved, you're sanctified, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So his main tactic, it's not to try to steal your salvation, right? It's not to try to it's not necessarily to try to trick you into sinning to where you you you're no longer loved by God. One of the greatest deceptions that he does is he tries to make you forget who you are, to forget your identity, to forget who you are in Christ, who he says that you are. Because if he can take your eyes for one moment, if he can if he can create chaos in your life and you start thinking that God doesn't love you, he's done a good job, right? Because that's not the truth. If he can for one minute th- make you think that God's turned his back on you, right? Now he's doing a good job. He, he steals, kills, and destroys. He's stealing your identity. He's killing your focus. He's destroying your understanding of who he is, 
right? It's not machetes and knives and chainsaws where when we think of, oh, he's like a roaring lion looking to kill, still and destroy. It's not that he's necessarily like uh, one of these horror monsters waiting around the corner trying to kill you or destroy you. Like what he's trying to kill, still and destroy many times. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to distract you. He, he wants to destroy your identity in him. And he does that by the things that are going on in your life. If I'm focused on my stuff, how can I be focused on him? I can't, I can't be, a, that's a double-minded man. I can't serve, I can't serve the world. I can't serve my problems. I can't serve my suffering. I can't serve my trauma and serve him at the same time. I'm forced to decide. And so if I'm deciding to just focus on all of the things and the, 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 the issues that are happening in my life, it's hard for me to focus on him. So pay attention, stay awake, stay alert, pray without ceasing. These are all instructions from the scripture and, and remind yourself of who he is. Position yourself in a place where you give him praise, where you give him glory, where you give him honor. And through the suffering, through the tears, through the weeping, because life can be challenging, continue to sow seed, continue to spread seed, continue to love others, continue to take your attention and focus off of this and place it on him. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Let's pray. Let's pray today. Oh, before we go, I want to share something with you guys. Um, I will, uh, this is this is from my heart. I will never create another account on Instagram. Okay? I will never have a WhatsApp phone number for you guys to contact me. I will never ask you guys for money. And I will never have uh, a St. Peter's orphanage or a mother's orphanage. I will never um, do that. Okay. So I've gotten some emails over the last few days where people are upset with me because they donated money to these orphanages. And then um, I came back and was asking them for more. And uh, my sister was kind of like, I can't believe it. All I had was 12 bucks and I gave you everything that I had. And then uh, you would have the audacity to come back and ask me for more money. And I was like, what? Hold on a second. Um, I never asked you for money. Please don't give, I don't have a WhatsApp. I do not have an orphanage. I will not be asking, like, please, you guys have better discernment. Have better discernment. There are individuals out there who are preying on people, selling them prophetic words, selling them blessings, trying to scam individuals. That's not me. That's not my profile. I have a lot of followers, so I don't, I will not make another account. I go live every day. Understand that those other accounts do not go live. That is not me. Okay. If, if you, uh, somebody asked, I started earlier today. It's daylight savings time. That's the only thing I, I will always go five thirty, regardless of what time zone that I'm in. Um, and it was daylight savings time. So if you guys receive a message or a request, there's no need to let me know. Okay. You don't have to message me and tell me because here's why, um, they block me. So I can't go and report their account. They're smart. They block and unblock me. They look at my list. They go through and follow it and they block me. So I'm not able to report. The best thing that you guys can do is report them and then block them. And that's, that's all that we can really do. Right. And read the name closely. Right. Pay attention. 
<laughs> you're shocked that someone has done that to you. It's not just me. It's all Christian content creators, pastors, anybody who, because what they're doing is they're playing on the emotional aspect of what Christianity brings. They go in and they try to find individuals who are moved by the spirit, who are looking for a blessing. And they promise them, Hey, if you sow a seed into my ministry, God's going to bless you tenfold. They, 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 they prey on individuals who love Jesus and have big hearts and want to help. And so they go in and they prey on individuals like that with lies and manipulation. It's actually, it's actually a real thing. They're digital panhandlers and they're scammers and they have, they devote their entire life to that. So please beware, use discernment. And I'm telling you now, I'm telling you here, it's not me. I will never do that. I will never ask you guys for money. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. God, another day that we get to spend together and share in your word, um, to sit in your presence, to know you more, to know you deeper. We just pray for discernment. We pray that you would continue to work in our heart, that you would continue to help us to be more like your son, Jesus, that you would help us to overcome uh, the issue of our identity. Lord, that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us as your children, powerful warriors, filled with authority, filled with boldness. Help us to stand against the tactics of the enemy. God, help us to resist him as we know that he will flee. God, we are, are so grateful that we get to come here together every day, uh, regardless of time zone or daylight savings time, that we're able to carve time out of our day to spend together to know your word deeply. We ask that you would write it on our hearts. Help us not to judge the outside world. Help us not to judge sinners and those who don't know you. In fact, help us to love them, to sit with them without sinning, and to be ambassadors of your son Jesus, shining your love and your light in this dark and evil world. God, give us discernment. Help us to set the bar higher within the church. Help us to raise the, the standard of morale and righteousness and the pursuit of holiness. Help us to hold one another accountable with truth, but most importantly with love in a manner that sheds light on issues that are challenging, that, that encourages people to find a place of repentance and to live a life that brings glory and honor to you and your name. God, help us to pursue that, to have a heart for people to love one another to the point where we want to do right by them and that we don't we don't just shoot from the hip that we don't just react out of our flesh but that everything that we do is done with kindness and empathy and and a, a love that surpasses understanding God, we want you to be pleased with how we deal with things inside and outside of the church so god help us to be discipled help us to be challenged help us to set our opinions and our beliefs aside and to stand on the firm word of your truth god we lift up our prayer requests uh, we ask that you would help us that you would challenge us that you would help us to know you better that we would stop twisting, manipulating, and changing the scripture to fit our own personal agendas, and that we would allow the word to change and transform us, because that's truth, and that's what it does, and we thank you for that. God, we pray that you would breathe life into our prayer requests according to your will, and we pray all of this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys for joining me. I know we're, we're a little light-footed today. I think some people didn't, uh, whether it's daylight savings time or not, um, it is where I'm at and I'm going to go according to my time. So set your clocks, make sure you guys make the adjustments, but I will be here 5 a.m. 
wait, see, 5.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and I'm heading, I'm traveling tomorrow, I'm heading to Gilroy, California, I'm going to be at a school all week, so be praying for me, praying for the students, praying for their hearts, praying for um, change and transformation, but I'm taking all my stuff, so we'll still be going live, and I'll be giving you guys live updates of, uh, you know, what, how that's going, and the lives that are being changed and transformed in these young kids, so, amen. I love you guys, have a great day, and I'll see you back here tomorrow.